They say there's no light that doesn't cast a shadow. But the people who say that have never been outside at noon on a summer day. It's a fleeting moment, but it's there. Everyone says it's always darkest just before dawn, but that too is a fleeting moment. I collect these moments, you see. Snapshots in time, meaningless by themselves. I'm the detective who stands between worlds for cases that span the spaces between spaces. These are the Gossamer Gumshoe Files. Episode 7, Maid of Orleans, Part 4. April 7th, 9pm. Three hours before a demon soul market opened up where a statue of Joan of Arc should be. I had to move a massive gold-gilded statue 12 miles without the right vehicle. Fortunately, we had a plan. But first, we had to get the statue. The rain had picked up and it was foggy as sin. I've never seen a place look more ominous than that hangar that we were heading toward. See, the Philadelphia International Airport is named for no one. New York has JFK, Dallas has Bush International. But the Philadelphia International Airport has no name and needs no name. We shifted onto the side roads. We were heading to Hog Island. The oddly named area wasn't really an island, but a former shipyard attached to the airport. If anything, it was a peninsula, surrounded by water. We weren't supposed to be here. But we didn't have much choice. If I, Amy Elmore, and Karanas the frickin' dagger of the south who'd assassinated a dragon, didn't get the statue of Joan of Arc back at its intersection by midnight, a demon soul market would form, and then the city would go to hell in all kinds of ways. The hangar before us was quiet. We knew the statue was inside, but Johnny Manana had been very specific about it being guarded. At this point, Amy adjusted the visor on her plated helm and said, you're gonna owe me for this when we're done. Like, you owe us a free case, no questions asked. I blinked, considering that. I shrugged, and I said, Don't ask me to make promises. If you haven't noticed yet, a witch's promises are very exacting. Very, very exacting. Amy said, A case. You owe us one. I quietly had to tally up the fact that they'd helped me corner a dangerous witch of eons, and now they were going to help me move a statue that would otherwise be impossible for me to do anything to. Finally, I said, Okay, I'll waive my fee for one case, but you still need to cover expenses. I gotta eat. Amy nodded and said, Deal. I held out my hand. We shook. I was used to the spark that passed between us, but Amy was shaken. Amy said, What? Stumbling away from me. I said, I told you, my promises are very, very exacting. 
I motioned to the hangar. I said, we don't have much time. We opened the personnel entrance to the hangar door. Inside, as expected, was a gilded statue of Joan of Arc. Not expected were Detectives Michaels and Markham of the Philadelphia Police Department, two members of the Paternal Union of Police in high standing. Markham and Michaels were both peachy white enforcers of status quo. Markham had red hair and Michaels had black hair, but they were otherwise interchangeable in my eyes. Markham said, Well, looky here, a lady knight, an elf on the stealth, and everybody's favorite detective. Michaels said, Not my favorite detective. Markham nodded in agreement, saying, Regardless, I see a bunch of colorful characters who don't belong here, and I'm going to ask them to leave. I said, Markham, Michaels, I'm here to return that statue to its rightful place for my client. That sounds bizarre, but it was stolen by a witch who wants to unleash a soul market onto Philadelphia. That's going to happen at midnight. I do not, under any circumstances, have time for this tonight. There are literally three dozen things I would rather be doing right now and a dozen sociological debates I could be having about the implications of soul trading on a massive black market in this city. What I'm going to lead with is that you want me to solve this case so we can all go home tonight and everything gets to go back to being the way it was before today. I kept walking forward with a sinking feeling in my stomach. I saw no other guards. I was getting a feeling why. Markham said, A soul market? You ought to back up right there, detective. There's no such things as soul markets. Michael said, Definitely not in Philadelphia, no matter what happens tonight. Markham said, Anybody who says otherwise might find themselves with a case of lead poisoning. Michael said, Might fall down a few flights of stairs onto a pile of bullets. Markham said, all kinds of rough accidents could occur to anyone starting one or talking about one. Amy interjected, involving bullets. They both stared at her. She was an anomaly. They knew where they stood with me. They had no idea what her deal could be. What no one noticed, except me, was that Keranas, the dragon assassin, was gone. How he'd done that, I don't know. But I did feel the flow of magic, and he just blended in with the background. Markham found his voice, saying, Oh yes, lots of bullets. Michael said, We heard about your little run-in with the werewolf today, detective. Markham said, your case has gotten a little loud. Too loud. We're taking over from here. Then I saw behind them in the shadows. Corpses. A lot of them. Misshapen and cruel. The kinds of demons that haunt your nightmares when they're made manifest. Markham and Michaels had plowed through all of them. How? I didn't know. But I did know that this was not a fight I wanted until I knew what had happened here. I said, 
Can you move a gilded statue back to Kelly Drive before midnight? They both exchanged a glance. I kept walking forward, putting myself about ten feet away from them. They both put their hands on their guns. I said, Because if you can't, that soul market you keep saying won't exist, will exist. And I get that your shtick is a blanket denial and murder of anything supernatural. But it'll make that pile of bodies behind you look like a walk in the park on a summer day. We stared at each other. Markham said, You really should have just laid low for a day or two. Tracking your case after you left Reichenbach Falls was pretty damn easy. And the correct solution was to just kill everybody involved and move the statue back tomorrow. I gripped my teeth. I was worried about Johnny now. Johnny's name wasn't actually Johnny Manana. He just liked the idea of being the Tomorrow Man because of his ability to live in the future and go back to the past when trouble hit. Had he gotten out? The net was closing. Had he seen a way out? Or had they gotten to him first? No, he always knew 24 hours in advance if something was going to kill him. It's how he got out of the Coven collapse of 2012. Michael said, Beating you here was just a matter of examining Mr. Manana's GPS history. He'd spent a lot of time in this hangar. But then, we operated this case once we started tracking your movements with actual detective work, not whatever you use. Markham said, Regardless, we'll put the statue back and we'll sweep this under the rug tomorrow, and you will have been put on notice. Another day like today, detective, and the PUP will hunt you down, and we will kill you. I said, Again, tomorrow is too late. That statue doesn't get back in place by midnight, and we're all in a lot of trouble. Michaels and Markham both drew their firearms, but kept them pointed at the ground. Michaels said, Basic magic trash doesn't listen to their batters. Markham said, We told you, you're done here. The case is closed. Go tell your client that. Michael said, Last chance. I took in a deep breath. I released it. They weren't gonna listen. They were the PUP. Their model couldn't be improved. Their beliefs needed no updating. They weren't police. They were a damn cult. And I was done playing their game. I said, My client is Joan of Arc. If I told her I'd close the case because a 10-ton palooka and a 2-bit tomato can told me it was done, she'd ask me why I'd quit before you'd set me on fire. Now call Nelson Calhoun. They both shared a glance. Markham said, Why should I call Nelson Calhoun? And why should he call the head of the PUP? I said... Because when I'm done with you two, I want him to know I'm coming for whoever he sends next. Then he can save us both a lot of time and blood and come for me personally. 
skip the middleman. Stop the fuck. They both pointed their guns at me. It's as far as they'd got. The dominant flow at an airport was wind, and we were in an airplane hangar. I started to snap at the flows of magic in response, but Amy got between them and me first. And I couldn't finish the spell without hurting her. Two bullets pinged off her armor, bouncing off the steel-shuttered airplane door before going through the ceiling. Amy sent Michaels reeling, smashing him with her shield, and Markham forced her on the defensive with more shots from his gun, holding her in place, just firing away. And then Karanas landed on him from behind. Two PUP members were flung to the floor in front of me, grappled in holds developed from a lifetime of battling in a world where your life depended on your sword. And Karanas began binding them with the frightening efficiency of a man who'd done this his entire life using silk rope. Amy said, those bullets are runic. She threw me Markham's gun. I then had an experience I'd never had before. I felt the connection I had to the flow of magic disappear. I ejected the magazine. Each bullet had a tiny scroll written on it. Simple stuff, really, designed to dissipate the flow of magic. The sorcerer Abandonada's work. I'd really pissed him off. He clearly made these to kill a witch. The th same thing he'd done to Maria the Conqueror. He'd tried to do to me. I didn't blame him, really. I did set him on fire and smash his head against two walls in two buildings simultaneously. But these bullets weren't just magic dissipating. They warped space. They'd make me unable to adjust perspective and change my position when they were fired. If Amy hadn't shouldered her way in, I'd be dead. The bullets were designed to crack a witch's defenses. Nothing like her armor, mind you, which was... Also covered in runes, designed in another world to champion justice. Against her, they were like hitting a pickaxe against a boulder. You'd crack it eventually, but the key word was eventually. It was good to have friends. Karanas said, You do not have time to dawdle. Form your circles. And he was right. I ran up to the circle of Joan of Arc, valiantly astride her horse in full plate armor, gilded gold and ready for a different kind of war than the one she fought against the British. Michaels and Markham were shouting about how we'd all die for this, and I didn't give a shit. I formed the circle using chalk and rat blood. The advantage of rat blood uh, was that you could find rats all over a city if you knew where to look. The other advantage was that it would scrub right off the base of the statue when we were done. I had to move quickly but precisely. Both the circle in the car and the circle on the statue had to match if we were going to have any chance of pulling this off. The first circle was formed and I heard the airplane doors opening. Amy brought a car around. Now I had a second problem. Karanas had a great idea putting the circle on the car, but where to put it that it would match the one on the statue. I improvised and put it on the roof. It was the only 
flat enough space that matched. I was out of the blood vial soon enough. Problem, it was raining out. I said, we need a tarp. At this point, we started looking through the hangar, and thank all that was holy, there was one big damn blue tarp left, but how to attach it? Karanas commented as he pulled out a thin silk rope. Someone in my profession who doesn't carry 50 feet of rope at all times is already dead. I didn't argue. We tied the tarp to the top of the car. In theory, I could gate the statue to wherever the car was, whenever I wanted, so long as the circles held. So now, still holding the abandonada bullets in my hands, I said to Amy, You've got to get that car to Kelly Drive as fast as you can. We're only getting one shot at this. Amy didn't get it. She asked, It's 10.30 p.m., it's a 15-minute drive. What's the issue? I said, just trust me. Hurry. So I felt the flow of the bullets, and I rolled two fistfuls of 9mm ammo designed to kill me in my hands. Even ammunition built to deny the flow of magic has a flow. That's the mistake everyone makes. This would easily kill a sorcerer, whose entire casting method required first pulling magic into their body. For a witch, however, things were different. It was a shock to my system, yes, but it was just that. A shock, a distortion, a ripple. I could ripple back, twist the ripple, smooth it out, redirect it. You just need to be ready for it. It was something I was going to have to remember for the future. So Keranas and Amy were driving hard to Kelly Drive, and I could feel the connected circles moving. They'd take I-95 from the airport to North 22nd Street, then exit onto the Ben Franklin Parkway with its flags of many nations along its entire length, and from there they'd cut away to Kelly Drive. I'd have time. I sat down next to Markman Michaels, and I had a question I needed answered first. I said, So, two things. First, I need you to explain to me why you get to leave this hangar alive. That got their attention. I loaded one of their guns with the Witch Killer bullets. I knew how to block them, and I wasn't worried anymore. I leveled it at Markham and Michaels. Markham said, You kill us! The P.U.P. will hunt you down for the rest of your life. I said, I don't kill you. You hunt those two down for the rest of their lives. You know who they are, don't you? Michael said a few dirty words about Amy's race, gender, and sexuality, ending with, Is obviously Amy Elmore from the bar. So I smacked him with his own gun. He blinked as his nose started to bleed. It finally occurred to them what their situation was. It's tough for people who are used to being on top to be on the bottom. Markham said, Why didn't you just keep your mouth shut, Michaels? I said, You already said you tracked me from the bar, you idiots. 
There was no hiding what you did or didn't know at that point. Now, Michaels, I want you to understand that I didn't hit you because you know too much. Quite the opposite. You have no sense in that brain. I hit you because you called Amy several things you shouldn't call someone. Michael said, What? You call a spade a spade and a... I hit him again before he could finish the thought. He was stunned. His face now looked nicer to me with a black eye to match that bloody nose. I said, You know, when the three of us were on the force, I made it a point to ignore a lot of the things people said. A lot of the things. Because I knew that I had to put in my years to be a private investigator. I walked over to Markham and I kicked him in the ribs. His groan of agony was music to my ears. I said, Markham, I know about the kickbacks you take. Petty shit, nothing to anybody heavy. And the thing is, Internal Affairs has a pretty poor track record of putting people down. Nelson Calhoun makes sure of that. Even if I handed them what I know, I'm pretty sure you'd walk. I held the loaded guns and I said, So let me tell you both something else I know. I know that Johnny Manana had to go through some demons negotiate to make all this happen, and the only demon in the city who could make a deal this big happen was the Rat. And I know for a fact that what happened between me and Carlos the Ruthless was too fast for anybody to give you an accurate description on me. Hell, getting an accurate description on me on a good day is pretty hard, last everyone and their mother checked. So that means you were tipped off by somebody who could see me for what I am. And the only one in the area at the time who qualifies would be a demon. You know, the rat. So one of you is a rat working for the rat. And until I know who, my spell could be intercepted by him acting through one of you. Doesn't do anybody any good for me to fire this up and launch this statue across space and time back onto its mounting, only to have it deflected by the demon that calls itself the city on a bad day. I gestured to both of them with their guns, fingers outside the trigger well, so yes, I was maintaining trigger discipline even if every firearms instructor on the planet would scream at me for being so damn cavalier about it. So the easy way to do this, I said, would be to kill both of you and save the day. But I can't say I like murder, even if it's a pair of monsters like yourselves. Michael said, Look, we hunt the monsters, we get it. We're the good guys. We had the wrong idea. Markham was real quiet, though. He was thinking. He was rubbing those two brain cells of his together so fast it might start a fire. Markham said, What if it was Carlos the Ruthless? I said, Oh, and his mate, the Alpha, Derek the Bald? Markham nodded rapidly and said, Yeah, exactly, Derek and Carlos. I said, Burn in hell. You don't know who the current Alphas are. You weren't tipped off by anybody from their corner. Especially since you're the bastards who killed Maria the Conqueror. What I didn't say to Markham 
was that I had considered the possibility, but Jermaine and Carlos weren't exactly good at subterfuge. It was a quiet night in the airplane hangar. Markham had just slept. If I made the wrong call, Amy and Karanas would be up against 6,300 cops later tonight. And I just couldn't kill the bastards and be done with it. I'm better than that. The rat was going to win, unless I could think of something. Anything. I knew who it had to be, but I had to be sure. So I said to Markham, where did the tip-off come from? He clammed up. But Michaels was staring at him. His eyes were flickering. See, people underestimated Michaels because the man had a big mouth. But there was more to him than that. I said to Michaels, Where'd the tip-off come from? He said, Markham took the tip. I pulled Markham's phone off his body. I said to Markham, Code. He shook his head. I pointed the gun at his head and screamed, Code! He shook his head. I took in a deep sigh, and in the end I thought back to the man-eater. I chambered around on the gun. I was just going to have to kill someone, wasn't I? Michael said, His code is 875309. I rolled my eyes. Of course it was. I dialed it in. Markham said, You bastard! And there it was. Markham had dialed a number marked Frank Sinatra, the most famous member of the damn Rat Pack. And I dialed it and set it to speakerphone, keeping Markham's gun pointed at him the whole time, my finger on the trigger. I was just about done with trigger discipline. If my hand twitched and he died, well, I didn't so much care at that point, and he knew it too. A familiar voice on the line said, Hello, Markham. Is it done? I replied, Hey, Rat. You're about to have a rough night. He said, Detective, you miserable fool. You found my plaything. I said, they'll hunt you down for that, you know. The PUP won't stop until you're dead. The rat said, I'm an ageless, immortal demon representing the duplicitous nature of man. Do you think they stand a chance? He hung up. So, Markham and Michaels had both heard that. Michaels said, Markham, I can't believe you. You sold us out. You sold the city out. You sold me out. Markham said, Souls, Michaels. Communing with my dead wife. I get to see her every day. Every day I get to touch her. Every day our love never dies. He screamed into the vast dim airport hangar and said, Do you know what it's like to lose something like that? And then to have it again in moments. And no moments last long enough. Michael just stared. I said, I'm a witch. We deal in souls. Believe me when I tell you, Markham. There's no life for you trying to live with two people in one body. 
Even if you were trained for it and had the aptitude for it, you'd tear yourself apart. Hell, I bet you already are. Markham said, It doesn't matter. I can't lose her again. Michaels and I shared a look. The thing about Michaels was that he was a loudmouth jackass, a racist, and a sexist. But he also explained the law of supply and demand as it related to the drug trade in Philadelphia to me. He'd run the numbers in his head. The man had trouble reading a room sometimes, but he was very, very good at street math. In their partnership, Markham was the mouth, but Michaels was the mind. Michael said, Gag the rat for the rat and pull out my phone. I'm gonna do what we've got to do. I stared at him. Markham stared at him. I used some spare rope to gag Markham and then I pulled Michael's phone out of his pocket. He told me his code and he told me, Dial Nelson Calhoun and put him on speaker. Michael's had the number. I dialed and I put Nelson on speaker. The voice of the dark overlord of the PUP declared, Michaels! Michaels said, Markham took a soul deal with the rat, stabbed us all in the back. He helped steal the gilded statue of Joan of Arc from Kelly Drive near the Art Museum. Seriously, I'm not kidding, boss. The one right there, now, is fake. I've got him tied up in the airport on Hog Island. We play our cards right, we can put the real statue back without anybody being the wiser. Hmm, and the detective? Michael stared at me and said, He's alive. He's how I know Markham's working for the rat. And he's gonna put the statue back for us, real nice and neat-like. Hmm, we have ways of dealing with people like Markham. Is the detective there? I said, yeah, I'm here. Nelson Calhoun said, consider this your free pass. Put the statue back and we'll ignore today's transgressions. Clean slate. None of this ever happened. I said, you should stop buying bullets from a bandanada. Sooner or later, that's going to come back to haunt you. <laughs> oh, detective, perhaps it will, he said. Perhaps it will. But that day is not today. And you know something special? I stared at the phone, wishing I could kill a man with murder thoughts. I said, what's that? Nelson Calhoun said, I don't think that day will be tomorrow either. The line went dead. Michaels nodded and said, There you go, detective. You and your friends are off the hook. Let me go and I'll deal with Markham. I stared at him for a bit. I won't lie. I seriously considered putting a bullet in both their heads right then and there. But again, 6,300 cops in the city of Philadelphia, and almost all of them were PUP members. 
the bullet could come from anywhere at any time. At least this way, there was some breathing room. I untied Michaels and I said, Do you vow on the cage in your heart that Amy, Carson, and Karanas and I will be safe from the PUP's violent rage? Michaels said, Were you trying to do a rhyming thing there? Because I don't think you did a rhyming thing there. I said, yes, I was trying to do a goddamn rhyming thing there. It did not work. Point is, do you vow? And he said, this time I do, not next time. I took what I could get. I held out my hand to help him up. He took it and he cried out as the shock passed between us. I said, the pact is sealed. Michael stared at his hand and back to me. He gave me several choice words, and I said, Not that I don't trust you, but I don't trust you. I tossed him the guns. Now get your former partner sorry ass out of here. I have work to do. Michael said, I'm going to make you pay for this in the end. You know that. Someday... You'll cross the line, and I'll be there when you do. I said, Michaels, you're walking out of here alive because I didn't cross the line. If I cross a line, you'll be there all right, dead on the floor, still wondering what killed you. Now walk. Michaels and I stared at each other for a long moment before he dragged the trust up, gagged Markham out of the building. It was time for me to move the statue, and as I lit the candle and stepped into it, and the world began to shift as the circle aligned with uh, its opposite on the car, and everything began to change into its proper alignment across time and space, I heard a soft rumble from the void. The rat said, and where do you think you're going? Somewhere in time and space between Hog Island and Kelly Drive, I was trapped. End of part four. Dee Dee Groove. Hitman. Prelude in action. Shiny Tech. Misuse and Twisted are by Kevin McLeod and use a Creative Commons 4.0 license. Through filmmusic.io, please support the official creators. Next time, Episode 8, Made of Orleans. Part 5, The Finale. This has been a Foam Lined Box production.